Welcome back, everyone. Today's episode is the second half of a discussion we began last week. Now, last week, we were reading and providing commentary on the first half of Evangel Presbytery's statement on sphere authority, worship, and COVID-19 quarantines. This week, we read the rest of it and continue to provide commentary. We're delighted that you've taken the time to listen in on our conversation, so thank you very much. My name is Lucas Weeks, and the conversation today is with Max Carell and Tim Bailey. This is the Out of Our Minds podcast. Quarantines are biblical, they're right, and reform people have always been sympathetic to protecting life by the use of quarantines. People are then going to say, oh, are you saying it's all right to forbid churches to meet? I say, I didn't say that. They say, well, yeah, but that's how the quarantine worked out in America. I say, well, yeah, that's a place where the consent of the government becomes important. Because on the one hand, we're all agreed that quarantines are biblical, right? And, you know, I, I said it that way because whoever's listening, don't you dare try to talk about something down the road in the issue of consent of the government to COVID. If you don't agree with the principle that quarantines are biblical, right. don't you even try that. Because yeah. I'm going to sniff you out, and I'm going to say you're not arguing in good faith. Nobody is going to say that it is wrong for the civil authority to use the sword to protect our mothers and children that are on the shores of the Pacific Ocean and being invaded by Venezuela by the same principle. Mm-hmm. Nobody should argue that the civil authority should use the sword to protect the lives from an invasive invader that comes through the body by various viruses. It's the same principle. Mm -hmm. We have to have authority that's above the church and the home, that cares for the state. Mm -hmm. And so if you believe in defense, okay, then you should believe in defense against military invasions. You should believe in defense against sickness, disease, invasions. It should be handled on the cosmic level. So here's a statement. I wrote it down so that you could listen to it, chop it all up, and whatever. Disobedience through abdication of responsibility by any authority in any sphere will result in inappropriate judgments toward the actions of the authorities in the other spheres. Okay, you're going to have to read that again. Sorry. Disobedience through abdication of responsibility by any authority in any sphere will result in inappropriate judgments toward the actions of the authorities in the other spheres. Well, change the first word and read it again. Change Instead it of what? having the first word be disobedience, yeah, go ahead. change it to rebellion. Rebellion through abdication of responsibility. All right, by- stop. Okay. Now, why did I change it to rebellion? Because it directs our attention to God. Mm -hmm. God is the one that has put authority in place. Mm -hmm. When we refuse to protect those under us because it won't get us good press, whether it's a pastor or a governor Mm -hmm. or a father, we are rebelling against God. And none of us feel the weight of our accountability to God. Remember, it says those who will give an account. Who are we going to give an account to? We're going to give an account to God for our care for the souls of the church. 
okay? Mm-hmm. Civil authorities give an account to God for the protection. When they declare that sodomitic marriage is legitimate and constitutionally guaranteed, they will give an account to God mm-hmm. for that. They mm-hmm. will give an account to God. And when we have church pastors who preach all faith and no repentance, Martin Luther says about that, that that's always the habit of pastors to preach faith and no repentance. And he says they will produce a people with no compunction of conscience. And then he says, and that will be an error worse than all those hitherto prevailing, which means that'll be worse than Roman Catholicism. That is what the Reformed Church is today. We have no compunction of conscience. Now to come back, yes, what you're saying then in your statement is that when we refuse to submit to God and his call to us to lead and to care. We start pointing fingers. Well, our abdication makes a faithful servant in the other spheres look like a monster. Mm. And Richard Baxter talks about this in The Reformed Pastor, where he says, you know, the people take the pulpit to be a stage upon which a man may do or say what he likes as long as he comes out of the pulpit and acts like an ordinary man. And he says that if we actually say to them in person, after we come out of the pulpit, the same warnings, the same calls to repentance that we said in the pulpit— he, then they say to us, why are you so loud? Why are you so intense? Why can't you be chilled like First Methodist pastor? Because he jokes with people. And this is something that those of us in authority see all the time. The pastors who seduce the sheep, okay, mm-hmm. to leave the church where they're being warned and come to their church where they don't warn them. Those pastors not only destroy the soul of the sheep that they seduce, but they also cause negative judgments against the pastor who is faithful. The way it works is that if you have in one sphere an abdication of responsibility, a refusal to protect, Mm -hmm. then in another sphere, if there is an authority who does protect, that authority appears to be a monster. Because we have lowered our expectation of leadership and authority so far that if we see it, I used to say, you know, it used to be said that in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. And I say, no, the way we view it is in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is a monster. (laughs) Because I think the most faithful pastors today are just barely one-eyed. Mm-hmm. And yet people just have hissy fits that we even see slightly with one eye. If mm-hmm. we try to be faithful to a tiny proportion of what other pastors through the centuries have said and warned about, mm-hmm. we do look like monsters today. And that's because we're surrounded by men who have rebelled against God and who refuse to protect those under their charge. I was thinking about Jesus and one of the accounts in the in the Gospels when he meets the centurion. But he doesn't meet the centurion. Does the centurion send somebody and say, you know, don't come to my house. I'm not worthy for you to right. come to my house. And the centurion says, I'm a man under authority. Right. I say to this man, go, and he goes. I, he, the guy knew authority and knew it well. And Jesus turns around and says the, a most amazing statement. I've never seen faith I know. like I've never seen faith like this anywhere in Israel anywhere mm. and it's like the centurion got the best benediction in the new testament yeah <laughs> it's like kind of the roman centurion guy, and it's that's like, pretty amazing and but what was it all about authority. it was all about authority yeah, it was yeah, all about yeah. him knowing who he was and who jesus was and how things worked 
Wow. And he wasn't, he, he, you know, what you believed when you read that is, I'll bet he was a good centurion. Mm. I'll bet he did his work well, you know. Mm. And it's not blind submission and it's not autocratic authority. Mm-mm. This is the thing that just drives me crazy. The minute you say things like this, all these straw men come out. Well, you guys would tell a woman to submit to beating. You know, I suppose you would have been opposed to the American Revolutionary War. Well, no, I wouldn't. I've thought a lot about that, and I actually wouldn't. But if we can agree that it's not just benevolent authority, but it's authority that God establishes. If we can look at the authority that the Apostle Paul was under, and the Apostle Peter were unders in civil authorities when they wrote these statements that you just read earlier. Mm. If we can agree that all of us have deep within us faithlessness because we don't understand authority, we don't submit to it, and we don't exercise it. And Jesus says, I haven't seen such great faith. Well, then the absence of authority must be faithlessness, you know? Mm -hmm. If we can agree that the way we talk and the tone of our voice and the posture of our body when we relate to our Father shows whether or not we respect him and submit to him. And then that that same principle holds between the father and the governor and mm-hmm. the public health officer and the pastors and elders of the church. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. If we can agree on these things, then we come to COVID and we come to the plague mm-hmm. and we say, well, it's actually not a plague. And then we begin to talk about things that really are worth talking about if we're all agreed on the first principles that all other generations of the church have been agreed on. Mm -hmm. And then we can talk about the fact that there must be a careful cultivation of the trust of those under your authority if you're a father and a husband. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't have their affection and love and trust and your wife decides she's done with you, are you going to end up without your children because the ad litem doesn't like you because you're a wacko Christian? In other words, even in the home where we take vows till death and right. where children are born to us, yeah, okay, yeah. even there, we do, if we're honest, depend upon the consent of our wives and children. The governed, yeah. And if true. we don't recognize that and cause that to make us work very hard, to be trusted and loved and to be affectionate towards our, our, our and not to be a blowhard and not to be a Barney Fife. I, I had that realization a couple of years ago, just thinking about my kids and really sort of taking them for granted, you know, and realizing these kids are going to be judging you 18, 20, <laughs> uh, very soon. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> and what they do is that's Oscar Wilde. He says, children begin by loving their parents. Then they judge them. Yeah. Rarely do they forgive them. Mm. Yeah. And so now take what we're saying about the home. Yeah. And, and fatherhood. Now take it out to the civil authority. Mm-hmm. If the civil authority has an expectation for the extent of their authority that goes the whole way to t- saying what you wear in the privacy of your backyard if you're within six feet of someone else. You know, it might be that the, that the governed won't give them consent. And, <laughs> Just maybe. Well, and an awful lot of things about COVID, even though we continue to say we have to respect authority and submit to it, an awful lot of things about COVID have further declined 
the consent of the governor of the mm-hmm. United States of America because they came on the back of an election which certainly was debated. If you think that the election was completely above board and and legal, then I will take you back to the four and a half years of hatred for President Trump, even before he was inaugurated as president, mm-hmm. that all the elite institutions of the country tried to deny the simple people of the country who voted for Trump mm-hmm. their part in the electoral process. It was revolution by other means. Mm-hmm. It was relentless attacks, relentless mockery. It was everything you would do if you wanted to delegitimize the authority who was over you. That's what they did. Mm-hmm. And so can you really blame the people that elected him from going and protesting in Washington, D.C. and getting out? It was like it was like uh, Andrew Jackson's inauguration, you know, where all the people came out with their buckskins and their guns and everything. Listen, even the relationship between the working stiffs and the elite in our country to some degree has to do with the consent of the government. Mm -hmm. In other words, the elite better make sure that they don't just completely alienate all the people that have carry permits. Right. And that's not bad. Right. And so, no, don't just talk to me about the failures of Trumpites. Yeah. You have to have a mutual relationship of trust and trust requires both sides to give. Mm-hmm. And now I know people are going to say to me, oh, so there now it's not a matter of authority and submission, but it's a matter of mutual consent when it comes to the Trumpites. And I say no with the fathers and the children, with the pastors And the people, you remember me saying, you can't be ordained if your people don't choose you. Mm -hmm. You can't have elders that are are enforced by other elders. They have to be approved by the congregation. Right. And so I want us going into COVID realizing that we have to be peacemakers Mm -hmm. insofar as it depends upon us. And we have to cultivate trust and respect. Mm -hmm. We don't have to earn it. A lot of people say, well, until you earn my respect, I won't submit to your authority. No, 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 no. We don't have to earn it because God delegated it. No, 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 no. Okay. And yet we do have to work for trust, trust. for affection. Yep, yep. So the statement now heads into the church specifically. So let's let's go ahead and jump jump in. Uh, This is now at the top of page four. As a general law of neutral applicability, a quarantine at times interferes incidentally with the worship of God. This incidental interference in itself does not necessarily exceed the civil sphere's authority as long as it is understood to be temporary and localized, lasting no longer and extending no farther than the conditions that gave rise to it. Yet, through a protracted, extensive, and comprehensive quarantine, whose sway over the lives of the people is nearly absolute, the civil sphere does exceed its authority. Now, I just want to stop there and say I was actually surprised. I felt like I read this statement for the first time again. I was surprised that that was actually in the statement. Uh, But of course, by that point, uh, you're talking about a quarantine that had been in existence since March of that year or something like that, right? And so it was a long time already at that point. But let me continue. 
When a sphere exceeds its authority and acts ultra vires, its acts are void. And I just want to say ultra vires is a legal term. It's Latin, of course. And it's an act which requires legal authority, but is done without it. Okay, so when a sphere exceeds its authority and acts ultra vires, its acts are void. Even for acts that are void from the beginning or become void over time, familial and ecclesiastical spheres must approach the proper response thereto through prayer, wisdom, humility, and honor, if not exact obedience to the civil sphere. That's very early in COVID Yeah, that we say this. Yeah. And people have not recognized that we said this. Yeah, that's the thing that makes it so surprising. It's like, I mean, we're apparently the people banging the submission drum, but I mean, that's a year and a half ago. Yeah, and part of the reason we bang the submission drum is that when you do things like read the Magdeburg Declaration, you know, that is made so much of by the people shouting sphere authority and lesser magistrates. Mm -hmm. Nobody ever reads primary sources anymore. No. Nobody reads them. You read the Magdeburg Declaration, and it oozes respect for authority and Mm -hmm. submission to authority, Mm -hmm. and then shows where that authority has exceeded its legal bounds. Respect for authority and a willingness to, like, part with practically everything temporal yes yes. i mean you know take everything but don't take our worship exactly yeah okay yeah and so when we get into this uh this question of uh when a sphere exceeds its authority and acts um beyond its authority all Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. what we have to realize is again we better have pretty good foundation pretty good mm-hmm. foundation to stand on when we say that and it better have to do with things that really matter and so if you look above and you see that what we're talking about in this section is when quarantines extend over all of life and that they abuse the people in their homes and the sheep in the flock in the church in the worship mm-hmm. well okay And that's why when John MacArthur took a stand and said, no, we're going to meet, that was great. Mm -hmm. It was just great. And, you know, people were saying, oh, it's horrible. Tyrants, tyrants, they're going to, you know, fine them $1,000, you know, a day or whatever it was for doing that. Well, it was a wonderful use of an appeal. Now, I did not like the way he argued for it. Mm -hmm. I didn't think it demonstrated the kind of tactful submissive respectful appeal Mm -hmm. and i felt that about an awful lot of the statements that have been issued by various churches and church associations that what they've really been written for is to massage and scratch the ears of their people where they itch rather than to respectfully appeal to the civil authority you Mm -hmm. know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. and so they're just channeling the hatred well, okay, maybe not hatred, but they're channeling the anger of their people rather than respectfully appealing to authority. Mm -hmm. And so what's being said here is that quarantines can incidentally, and that's an important word, incidental is important because what a lot of people have said is they're shutting down our worship. And what Christians hear being said there is they want to shut down our worship 
the vast majority of cases, worship was just an incidental aspect of the quarantine. Mm. It was not the focus. And then right. people will say, oh, yeah, but they allowed them to go to the casino, but right. not to worship. Well, you have to make the case that that's religious persecution. Now, mm. it may be the violation of sphere sovereignty. Mm. It may be something that we have to resist because of our commitment as fathers and pastors and elders to protecting the sheep and their worship and their fellowship for the good of their souls. Okay, mm -hmm. but we should not be shouting about it being religious persecution when it's only incidental. It, it is not the state at that point trying to shut down the worship of God. It's the state wanting to shut down groups. And it just so happens one of those groups is the worship of God. So it's incidental. Mm -hmm. It's not that there weren't places and times where the churches didn't get singled out. Yeah. But the vast majority of it, it was just incidental. It was just the church was another category of large groups meeting in an intimate basis. But how did the state decide, because it did allow certain large groups to continue, but then... But in those cases, it was because some groups got preferential treatment for good, not because the church got preferential treatment for okay. evil. Uh, and I think you could probably find arguments for other groups that seem to have preferential treatment to be shut down. Parties at the uh, fraternities here in Bloomington were busted up. Yeah, oh, they were oh, shut yeah, down. They were completely and so shut you, down. what happened? They didn't go bust up churches in Bloomington, but they bust up. They busted up frat yeah. parties. Well, and they perfectly permitted Black Lives Matter riots. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I don't even think that that had so much preferential treatment for Black Lives Matter. I think it's that when one group gets belligerent and it's in cities where they can do serious damage, all of a sudden the civil magistrate thinks, you know, I think I would like the consent of the governed with that particular demographic. Don't fathers always have a tendency to be firmer with the children that are submissive well, than with yes. the children that aren't submissive? So then the statement gets into the classification of essential versus inessential, which we've been dancing around a little bit. Let me, let me continue. One exercise of ultra vires power in the current crisis is a declaration from the civil sphere that the church is an essential or inessential entity. The civil sphere has no authority to confer or withhold essential status regarding an institution that God himself ordained for the gathering in, sanctification, and protection of his people. Instead of the word status, prior generations would have used station, a word that communicates solidity, dignity, and a God-ordained assignment of an individual or institution. Of course, the civil authority might recognize the church as essential in the same way it would recognize any other truth declared by God, but such recognition does not create the truth or confer the station, and it should never be understood to do so. No one creates the moon by observing it. When the civil authority assigns essential status to the church as it would to any number of nonprofits, businesses, or social gatherings, it has arrogated to itself authority not delegated by God. It communicates to the public things that are untrue. The church, to use another legal expression, is sui generis. The church is an institution of God so unique, so long-standing, and so destined for the blessed and eternal work of worshiping God that to describe it as just another business, nonprofit, social gathering, or religious entity is to subject the church and her head, Jesus Christ, to abject denigration. 
This isn't to say the civil sphere's quarantine must exempt the church, but it is to say there are limits to its authority. No reasonable person would claim the civil sphere has authority to quarantine its people, including the church, in perpetuity. The question becomes what period less than perpetuity and what conditions would render a quarantine ultra vires at the point of interfering with the duties of the familial and ecclesiastical spheres in their worship of God. More broadly, what period of quarantine and what conditions are inimical to the well-being and proper function of the familial sphere and ecclesiastical sphere? So those are a lot of words. The easiest way of communicating what they say is just simply to say, that it is not the position of the state to lead the worship of God. And consequently, the church has to make her judgments about what does and doesn't harm the souls of the church in the context of worship and fellowship. Everybody has to look at the public health measures and the laws of quarantine, of masks, of vaccination, and then look at the, the relative danger of COVID itself vis-a-vis smallpox, vis-a-vis polio, and other things, and say, as citizens, what are we willing to put up with? Now, I know people are going to say, well, there you go. Now you're becoming a judge over the authority. And I say, well, yes, that's what every election is. Mm. I am a judge over those who serve me. And how in the world am I supposed to know who needs to be removed from office if I have not been following the debates? That's the nature of public discourse. Mm -hmm. You need to keep them honest by having public debates that are respectful and that are intelligent. Now, that doesn't mean that all of a sudden I think that I'm on the same level as a public health officer. There needs to be a certain deference to those authorities as we weigh their decisions in light of the coming election. Hmm. Now, people might say, well, are you saying that the only place to hold them accountable is each election cycle? And I would say, no, of course not. We have written as a church to our civil authorities in the public health sphere in the middle of COVID, telling them where we will go and where we will go and thanking them for their work. Mm -hmm. And so there again, that's not an election. That is appealing to the magistrate. That's the equivalent of saying to your superior officer in the armed forces, permission to speak freely, sir. Mm -hmm the way a wife does it when she goes into the bedroom with her husband who's maybe getting a little too angry in his discipline of the children. I want to go back to something earlier because, you know, the statement has this fundamental assumption about three spheres. And it occurs to me as as I'm reading this that it is Scripture that has defined these three spheres. We believe in, in spheres of authority because we see them in Scripture. And that's, I think, a significant point Uh, Because I think a major issue with this is the perception on the part of a lot of churches that the civil government doesn't even acknowledge the church as a sphere. And uh, more and more over the years, the civil uh, sphere is acknowledging the familial sphere less and less. Yeah, there's no question. Robert Piercig in his book, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, said that one day he and his son got on their bikes and were riding and all of a sudden everybody was obnoxious and they couldn't figure out why traffic was nasty all of a sudden. Then they realized that they just crossed the border into California. (laughs) And he said, you know, California is what happened when you tip the whole country 
on the side. Everything disconnected and without roots slides to California. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, I've always remembered that when it comes to authority, because in America today, all the authority is sliding to Washington, Mm -hmm. Mm D.C. And we have to be on guard, not allowing Washington, D.C. to take over the states, to take over the family. And that's a very serious issue. And that's what this is talking about here. Mm -hmm. This is Mm -hmm. saying you cannot allow the civil authority to take over the church and her worship. And the care of her souls. Because it is true, the civil authority doesn't believe in churches, doesn't believe in souls, doesn't believe in any God but the state. Mm -hmm. And so you have to guard the people that are under your care from the oppression of civil magistrates who are dismissive about the God who made them Mm -hmm. and are dismissive about the immortal souls he has placed in every man. Mm -hmm. Okay. But now let me say this. Precisely why is it that the civil authority is so dismissive about the authority of the church. All right, now, (laughs) you know where I'm headed, do you? Well, because the church has been so irrelevant. Yeah, it's been totally irrelevant. The church is supposed to be a mediating institution. The church is supposed to be so intimate that it is able to deal with catastrophic failures because its intimacy allows it to see it first. It should not be a policeman being called to a domestic disturbance, but rather the elders and their wives should have noticed the face of the wife Mm -hmm. and said, what's wrong? And it used to be that the church was a mediating institution. Mm -hmm. The church helped the state authority to deal with tension, conflict, and crimes, Mm -hmm. that often the church brought the crimes to the civil authority. You go back and read Calvin's weekly disciplinary meetings with the consistory, the elders of the church. Mm -hmm. And again and again and again, you will see a beautiful interplay between the elders of the church and the fathers of the city, where they pass off things from the fathers to the elders, from the elders to the fathers. Mm -hmm. There's just an unbelievable organic vitality to the relationship between the church fathers and the city fathers in the old days. But today, the church fathers have so completely abdicated their authority and responsibility for their sheep that they're absolutely no help to the civil authority. So of course the civil authority is taking on all the responsibilities. And and, and it's wrong, Mm -hmm. but it's reasonable. And what we found in this community is that when we begin again, to be a mediating institution that does the hard work of disciplining crimes in our church several times. We have had judges say in cases of crimes on the Mm -hmm. part of people in our Mm -hmm. church, they have said to the prosecutor, we are not going to go gangbusters on this case because the church has disciplined this individual. That discipline is more effective than anything we can do in the court. And so we're not going to, we're going to find them guilty and there's going to be punishment, but it's going to be light. And I want you to know before it even goes in front of the court, that's what I say to the defense attorney and to the prosecuting attorney. Mm. You know, we've had that happen several times. Mm. We've even had a judge say that from the bench. And be thankful for Oh, absolutely. Yeah, they love it. That's interesting because it requires us to have a not totally cynical view of the civil authorities. I uh, mean, it requires us to recognize their weight as well and recognize the common grace there. I think what we have is this 
this idea of not wanting to interface at all. So mm. as church leaders, we don't want to interface with the families to know what's going on and to help. And oh, as church leaders, we don't want to interface with the civil authorities to know what's going on and help. Mm. And so we just assume the worst or we assume nothing or we just stay out of it altogether. Yep, not my to actually get to know to sit down and talk with an official from a committee from your county from your city. They're not all Ram Emanuels out to see how much uh, power they can uh, get a hold of through mm. every situation that they can find. But they are just people who are trying to do the job that they've been elected or appointed or whatever to get done, and they have a job to do. When we have fights with our wives, my habit is, at times, I'm ashamed to say, but to assume the worst. And I think that what we have to do is relate to those in authority over us, being sympathetic to them, mm. sympathetic, and knowing it really is not their desire to torment us because we're Christians, or because sodomy is what we call it and not gayness, or because we believe that wives should submit to their husbands. Do you understand? We need to love our neighbor, and our neighbor is the civil magistrate. And the civil magistrate needs to not impute the most awful motives to us where we are recalcitrant in perfect obedience. In other words, let love cover all things, including between the civil magistrates as a pagan and the Christian who is a pastor. We should love our neighbor, and the authorities should love their subjects. And when we love our wives, it causes us to stop and think who she is, not the fact that God says to love her. I mean, you know, that's always there, but the fact that she loves me. Mm -hmm. And she actually wants to please me. How could I be accusing her of not wanting to please me? Mm -hmm. I mean, I know that's not true. It's just that my brain fries, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. there's stuff on the floor, on the, on the steps again. <laughs> and I, at that point I went upstairs and I just started laughing. I said, lover, do you know there's stuff on the floor down there? And we both just stood and laughed. I mean, I'd like to see that kind of relationship between civil authorities and church authorities and family authorities, between fathers and their sons, mothers and their daughters, between elders and members, between employers and employees. Why do we have to have such a dog-eat-dog -dog world between union and management? The attitude of those under authority towards the authority and the attitude of those in authority over those under them. It's so awful. P.G. Woodhouse talks about it in a comical way when um, the, the idiot Bertie Wooster refers to the feudal spirit. He talks about, you know, where is the feudal spirit? And of course, you know, I know that's getting into English class and all kinds of things, but it, it's the idea that there is mutual love for each other. I mean, you don't want to end up in a dog-eat-dog -dog situation because that is truly horrific. Yeah, authority without affection. Mm -hmm. And trust is very, very painful. And it leads to revolutions. Well, it's, And that's a lot of what's going on with COVID right now. It's not that COVID is as awful as everybody makes it on either side, but we have a division in this country I've never seen mm. before, never. It is intense. And it's been building up for, for decades. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
So continuing with the statement, these are the last two paragraphs of the statement. Given the unprecedented crisis and worldwide quarantine that has proceeded for several months, with some signs in some quarters of indefinite continuation, it is proper for the familial sphere and ecclesiastical sphere to consider how far their obligations of obedience to the civil sphere extend in the matter of worship. In other words, the civil sphere has no authority to render the familial and ecclesiastical spheres so deteriorated and prostrate under quarantine, they have no ability to fulfill their God-given duties which themselves are spiritually necessary and thus life-sustaining, since man lives not by bread alone. If you save a life by destroying a life, you have done nothing good. <laughs> and right. if you see that the authority over you is going to save your life by killing you, Mm -hmm. And so people would say, well, that's not what they're doing. They're protecting you. And you say, no, because they're, they are rendering. What does he say here? Uh, deteriorated and prostrate, Under the church climate. of Jesus Christ. Right, that they have no ability to fulfill their God-given duties. That's right. And souls depend upon worship, mm -hmm. upon the preaching of the word. Mm -hmm. And if you go back and read the reformers at the time of the Reformation, you read, for instance, Bucer. Calvin's dear friend in Strasbourg. The reformers constantly said that the Reformation had to happen because the people of God were being led by wolves instead of shepherds, mm. and that the souls were being destroyed by lack of shepherds. Mm. And so the Reformation, you know, people like to say it was a wonderful recovery of biblical preaching. Well, it was, but that biblical preaching was recovered only because the men were convinced that the sheep had to be cared for. Mm. And so preaching is at the very center, but exhortation, prayer, fellowship, all mm -hmm. those things are what protects souls into eternity. And so the government doesn't see any value to any of that stuff because they don't believe we have a soul. They just believe that we're a body. Yeah, I mean, even the consideration that a mask covers or makes it more difficult to relate to other people bears, you know, it, it has weight in the discussion. That we're Absolutely, have. and we've discussed that in the elders board, mm -hmm. and we have, uh, we've had real arguments about whether or not to go out along with mask mandates in the worship of God's people. Mm -hmm. I think all of us are much more sympathetic to requiring masks in stores in schools, all sorts of places, because when it comes to the worship of God, how do you separate the worship of God from fellowship, and how do you separate the face from fellowship? Mm. But um, I mean, how do you separate customer service from the face? Well, but it's not the soul you're caring for there. Yeah, that's, that's my point. Yeah. I mean, even in education, mm. it's not on the level of faith and worship. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that in education you do not teach Christian faith, but I'm saying that fellowship is such a such a sensitive part. They were devoted to the teaching of the apostles, the breaking of bread, fellowship, and prayer. Mm -hmm. It was one of the devotions of the early church. Mm -hmm. And so we have to be very careful to protect not just worship, but fellowship. Let's finish up here. There is no strict formula possible to answer the question for each sphere in each locale laboring under various levels of quarantine stringency and infectious risk. With wisdom and prayer and a humble posture, the familial shepherd and ecclesiastical shepherd must assess 
the condition of the flock under their respective care, and the condition and risk of the open pasture. If those flocks are languishing because of lack of physical food or spiritual food, or are at risk of wandering away from the fold towards the cliff, then the shepherd must see to it that the sheep are fed and protected, obeying the civil authority where possible, and disobeying where such obedience would cause them to disobey God. It is hoped that such shepherds exercised submission to the civil authority, modeling it for the sheep, when the crisis was in its early stages and no one knew the degree to which a clear and present danger existed. May God have mercy on us, forgive our sins, and lift this judgment from our land. Now that that final sentence, I think, it's almost indirect. It references COVID as a judgment of God. And I think it's a perfect way for the statement to end to acknowledge that, but it doesn't go into it at all. And I think that that actually is central to a biblical Christian response to COVID, that you begin by recognizing that it is a judgment of God on our nation, of which you are a part, and you bear some responsibility for. I mean, it's hard to understand how anybody could deny that COVID is a judgment from God on the Western world. It really is hard to imagine how someone who knows Scripture and church history could deny it. Mm. Somebody who simply knows the perfections of God as attributes. Mm -hmm. Somebody who knows salvation history. Somebody who's ever read the prophets. And you just look at God's use of judgment to discipline and love his people. Mm. And to the degree that we as Christians believe that this is an extraordinary nation, that we were a city on the hill, that there is still remnants of American exceptionalism, Mm. you know, why would we think that after all the bloodshed, all the horrors of Obergefell, all the promotion of sodomy, just greed and pride and Mm -hmm. inhospitality Mm -hmm. at our borders. (laughs) I know people are going to have a fit at me saying that, but that's my conviction. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not lawless on border policy, but you just look at our nation and our our great wickedness, and you want to say, well, don't put immigration in that. I say, okay, do we have enough with the slaughter of the unborn? Mm -hmm. Do we have enough with the slaughter of the elderly? Do we have enough with the slaughter of newborns who are defective. Mm -hmm. And now along comes something that may or may not be an epidemic or a pandemic, something which the statistics, and let's just say that it's arguable. Mm -hmm. How have we gotten to the point that all of us are prepared to just have hissy fits denying that it's a danger, because mm-hmm. that really, again, is what Christians are known for. Mm-hmm. Christians are known for many of the most conservative denying that there's any danger to COVID. Yeah. And I wonder whether God is impressed by our posture. Mm-hmm. In other words, if we say it's not God's judgment, then maybe it won't be God's judgment. If we say it's not really a thing, then that's nice, because then we don't have to repent. Right. In other words, the interrelatedness of repentance And the overreach of the government, which I think we all agree there has been overreach again and again and again and again in COVID, right? We would all agree with that. Mm -hmm. But also the people who die, because we all know people who have died. Mm -hmm. And we all know what it's like to get COVID. I don't know. Did you get it? I did, yeah. You haven't had it, but I've had it, yeah. Mm -hmm. 
And even if you just want to talk about the suffering, you know, we have people who are friends who still don't, haven't had their sense of taste restored. Mm -hmm. It just seems to me that the church should repent of her attitude and should say, this is God's judgment. Mm -hmm. And we might not agree as to what precisely God's judgment is, but would we all agree that the last year and a half to two years has been suffering, mm -hmm. that it's been painful, that we don't know when the end has come? Yeah. And they say, yeah, but the end could come right now if people realize that it's not really dangerous. And so there you start back on the whole <laughs> thing again. You either look at this theologically or you look at it as smarty pants knowing better than anybody else. Thanks very much for listening. COVID has given us a wonderful opportunity to think carefully about authority, submission, God's judgment, and what it means to be a faithful Christian in these United States. So you may be tired of thinking about COVID, but let's not grow weary of learning the lessons that God has for us at this time. Now, next week, we are going to jump into a statement that was recently released by the Trinity Reformed Church's Board of Elders on conscience and COVID vaccine mandates. Joseph Bailey will be our special guest, and I sure hope you'll join us. My name is Lucas Weeks, and our conversation today was with Tim Bailey and Max Carell. We serve as pastors at Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. For more great content, please visit warhornmedia.com. To support this podcast, you can donate at patreon.com slash out of our minds. Bye for now.